Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's Sarah Stremming, the Cog Dog Coach, and this is Cog Dog Radio. Join me as I cover behavior concepts, discuss training ideas, interview experts, and explore my cases, all regarding the dogs we live and play with. Let's go. One of the things that dog trainers argue about is whether or not to structure a dog's existence. So for instance, one set of trainers might argue that when out on a walk, the dog should be highly structured, expected to walk next to the person on a loose leash. The dog shouldn't be allowed to sniff or pull or visit other dogs. And another set of trainers might argue that the dog shouldn't be on a leash at all and should be off dogging and running around. And both of these trainers are solving problems and both of these trainers, you know, see what they're doing, helping their clients. And there's also a lot of talk about providing structure and routine and predictability to dogs who have behavior concerns especially dogs who might be kind of anxious or unsure about the world, as well as a lot of talk about providing those same dogs with choice and control and agency. Where is that point in between where we find that happy medium of the dog is provided enough structure to feel safe and enough agency to feel empowered? It won't come as a surprise to anyone that I am really pro agency and pro-dogness and letting dogs be dogs. And I also understand the value in predictability and routine for dogs who are anxious or unsure, as well as for dogs who are maybe not unsure, but highly concerned about kind of when the next fun thing is happening for them. And those tend to be the dogs that I share my life with. They're very concerned with when's my next training session? When's my next walk? When do I get to, get to use my body? They're kind of always waiting for the fun to start. And so they really do thrive in a structured life where they are told when those things are going to happen and when those things are not going to happen. Being an anxious person myself, I fully understand predictability and how having that kind of knowledge of what is going to happen and when is something that I can lean on to help ease my anxiety. And so I can see for a dog that is having those same kind of struggles, I can see where knowing that their person is predictable and that what's going to happen to them at any given time is predictable can help ease their anxiety overall. And also, being an anxious person, I can really see where agency is absolutely non-negotiable, completely vital to helping these dogs feel just more secure and safe in their own lives. So let's get into a couple of definitions here. First, the definition of predictability. We need to go to the word predict and the word predict is defined as being able to say or estimate what will happen in the future or what will be a consequence of something. So I really like that that word consequence came in. So predictability 
is the ability to know what a consequence will be. So what outcomes are available, knowledge of what outcomes are available is how I'm going to define predictability for dogs in behavior modification programs or dogs across the board, but we're, we're always talking about dogs that are in BMOD programs. So the ability to know what the consequences will be so, so important. When you put it that way, I can really see how providing predictability as kind of a base wellness principle for dogs in your care who have uh, maladaptive behaviors, aggressive behaviors, anxious behaviors could be paramount to helping those dogs get better. And then this goes right with agency, actually, because agency is defined as an action or intervention, especially such to produce a particular effect. So agency being the ability to act or intervene to produce a specific outcome, a specific effect, a consequence. So if we've got agency, that's the ability to affect one's own outcomes, essentially. And if we've got predictability, that's knowledge of the potential outcomes. We can see how those two things go hand in hand. Agency does nothing if I am not aware of the outcomes that are available to me. And therefore, providing the dog with the ability to choose its own outcomes as much as possible and also informing the dog of what outcomes are on the table are going to be really core tenets of helping any dog get better no matter what the behavior concern. So when I see trainers talk a lot about structure and maybe even putting the dog in a nylif or a nothing in life is free sort of situation where maybe the dog is hand fed so they eat all of their food from the hand of this person. Maybe the dog is on a leash 24-7. Maybe even the dog is on a gentle leader or another kind of restrictive device 24-7. That is removing agency. Okay, so that is you don't have control over your own outcomes. I am presenting you with very few outcomes from which to choose. And, you know, if I say you eat from my hand or you don't eat, I don't think that is much of a choice, right? So that is removal of agency. I could still be predictable when I do that. Okay, so the dog could be fully aware of the fact that you're going to eat from my hand or you're not going to eat. Okay, I've, I'm predictable then. But I've not given the dog any agency. And I think these things have to go together for us to be effective. In the case of the quote-unquote structured walk, which is what they're often referred to, um, these walks where the dog is on a leash, in a, in a heel or in a loose heel, not really allowed to do much, I can again be predictable. You'll receive a collar correction if you step out of out of a certain area. I can be predictable. You will always be wearing this kind of equipment that makes these kinds of behaviors uncomfortable. And I will be marching you at a certain pace, et cetera. Like I can be predictable, but if I have not given any agency, like I'm going to allow you maybe to choose if we go left or right, or I'm going to let you stop and sniff this mailbox as long as you feel like you need to. If I haven't given any agency there, then the predictability is not going to offer the same kind of peace of mind and anxiety-soothing 
which is what we were after, what we might have been after in the first place. So if I structure you within an inch of your life and you have no choices, certainly everything is quite predictable for you. And probably I'm also preventing you from expressing problem behaviors. And so those behaviors are no longer being reinforced. And I do think that that's why long-term folks see desirable outcomes sometimes with treating dogs this way. And these things wouldn't still last if they didn't work for people, right? And so behaviorally, I think the outcomes can work. If you structure the dog within an inch of their life and they simply are not allowed to choose those problem behaviors anymore, then yeah, the problem behaviors are gone. But I think it's so important that we are always aiming for providing the dog with a really good life where they can express full dogness and they can be off leash and they can they can run through the woods and they can you know nap in front of the fire or on the couch and they can you know they can just kind of enjoy what it is to be a dog if they can't do that stuff because I've structured them so much that those behaviors are not available to them then it's what have I sacrificed does the end justify the means so what I would argue is that We need to, yes, be predictable in the sense that the dog is aware of what the potential outcomes are. And also we need to provide agency so the dog can choose its own outcomes. And also we do need to manipulate the environment so that the expression of problem behaviors is unlikely or impossible. We need to do all of those things in order to be effective. So this isn't just about, okay, I have structured the dog so much that it is no longer practicing its problem behaviors. You know, case closed. That's not realistic. That's not long-term real life, right? So no, case is not closed. In the same sense, I cannot take all choices, remove all agency, and expect this animal to thrive because choice control over one's own outcomes is actually a primary tenet of behavioral health and wellness. So I can talk, you know, up, down, and sideways about the fact that agency and predictability are both very important for any of our dogs living any kind of lives, as well as you, just by the way, as well as humans. But let's look at some examples. Let's look at a real example instead of continuing to kind of talk in circles. So a couple of years ago, I took in a puppy who was looking for a new home and the intent was to take her in, fix her up, (laughs) polish her up, and pass her on to a family member who was gonna be in the market for a new dog joining their home. And that's exactly what happened. I took her in, I kept her for a few months, and then she went and she still lives with my sister and her family. And the dog's name is Junebug. She, if you've been following me for a while, you followed Junebug and she is the cutest thing in the world. She's a pug Boston cross. And when I got her, she was about four months of age and she was really struggling. Her family was really struggling with house training for her. So they were struggling to get her to use the outside as her toilet and not the inside. Part of that struggle, a huge part of that struggle, was that she was having a hard time being crate trained. And so they had tried to use a tether instead of the crate to no avail. She would go ahead and use her crate as a toilet sometimes. It was just, 
it was really tough. She had a lot of distress inside the crate and the family was just really having a hard time. The family was working with a trainer. That's how I came to know about Junebug because the trainer's a colleague and she posted about the puppy needing a new home and I grabbed her basically. I said, mine, grabby hands. And she came to me and it was clear that, you know, she had been, they had attempted to manage her really heavily because when you are house training a puppy, one of the smartest things for you to do is to not provide a whole lot of options as far as where the puppy should relieve themselves, um, where the puppy should be. Confinement is a core tenet of solid housebreaking a lot of the time. And so that's what these people had tried to do. And they had tried really, really valiantly to, to do it. And Junebug's distress in the crate had really made this quite difficult for them. And so she came to me and the first thing that I did, which is the first thing that I'm going to do with any dog that lands in my care, is I'm going to take them out to go on a walk in the woods off leash with my other dogs. And... I am really privileged that I have access to a pretty safe space to do that. You know, safety is relative. So <laughs> there are certainly risks and concerns. And if I have somebody's dog who I'm actually training for them and I'm going to return rather than this dog that was essentially mine and in my care, I do take more precautions. But essentially, Junebug was set free. She was set free to run with my dogs in the woods and she was a little tiny puppy and it was a big wide world and you know she'd never had that kind of freedom before so the first thing i did was take her out and give her as much freedom as i possibly could she loved food so she was pretty instantly attentive to me and staying with me and you know that part was easy but she also ran her little legs off and you know had a grand old time and fully emptied her bladder and bowels, right? So she was empty and done. So I'd given her so much agency on this walk. Like she had all the choices available to her. She could have run off into the woods and never returned. Um, I didn't predict that happening and therefore I still allowed her to be free. But essentially, you know, she had all the agency in the world. And then in a crate, the dog has very little agency. Like that being in a crate is you don't have a lot of options, right? That is, that is essentially true. Then when we came back to the house, I made the crate nice and cozy with a nice fluffy bed and put her in there right with me. I wasn't going to pair isolation with crating because those are two different hard things that we're not going to face at once. And I proceeded to cook dinner and she absolutely fussed a little bit because that's what she had learned how to do. I knew that fussing was going to be her pattern of behavior. I knew that fussing was going to be her way to try to access her desired outcome. And I also knew that all of her needs were met and that she was nice and cozy and warm and that she was tired and that if I let her, she would go to sleep soon. And she absolutely did. And so the week went on like that. Lots of agency, lots of needs being met, lots of exercise, lots of enrichment. And then also the crate isn't so bad. It's a nice, comfy place to be. And I'm watching the clock. And when I think you're going to need to go outside again, I'm going to take you out again. And so that's a nice balance of providing the dog with a lot of agency, meeting the dog's needs, which I think you know, I'm a broken record at this point, that that is paramount. Nothing else that we're talking about matters if you have not done that. And then also 
being predictable in the sense that you will be in the crate during certain times. I will take you out when it's necessary. The consequences available to you when you are in the crate are, are not much. You're pretty much just in there. Another and perhaps better example is a case that I worked where the dog had developed some pretty problematic kind of dog-directed behaviors. So lots of barky, lungy stuff towards other dogs on leash. And this had come about through attempting to offer the dog appropriate socialization and a lot of agency around other dogs. So free play puppy social class, met with dog daycare, met with not a lot of skills training around other dogs. And also this person was attempting to take the dog on off-leash hikes and the dog would bark and charge other dogs in that context as well. So this is a situation where the dog's been given a ton of agency and requires a little bit more structure. The dog requires a little bit more being told what consequences are and are not available to them, right? So in that case, the dog was taught a lot of skills around other dogs, was taught what's available to her around other dogs. Again, being predictable, it causes those big outbursty types of behaviors when the dog is trying to seek a certain consequence and you're not letting them have it. Okay, so in the sense that, you know, this dog wants to play with other dogs, wants to get to other dogs, and believes that that's the available consequence to her. And so then she just escalates her behavior to try to get there. We have to teach her what consequences are and are not available at what times in order for agency to be possible and to be effective and accessible. So then we taught her when you are on a leash, dogs are simply not available to you. And then we also taught her when you are off leash, you will be required to recall and you will be told when it's okay to go say hi. All of that required a lot of structure and removal of some agency. Now, it doesn't remove agency in the sense that, like, I'm literally forcing the dog to do the things I'm asking to do. It's removing agency in the sense that I don't allow access to that desired outcome when I'm seeing behaviors that I don't like. And that is a cornerstone of good behavior management. Providing choice and control is all well and good. You cannot provide a consequence that is counter to your end goal. If you provide the dog agency such that they can choose an outcome that you don't want them to choose or access, you are shooting yourself in the foot. So provide as much agency as you can in as many situations as you can. Also, though, be predictable about what consequences are available and are not. And because I could go on about this for the next 10 years, and I won't, suffice it to say that I believe strongly in off-leash time in nature as a way to provide dogs with just a basic primal need that they have, which then opens the door for us to not have to nag at them, to not have to nitpick them, and to not have to control them so much while we are still providing very clear information to them about what consequences are and are not available at any given time. And that is the recipe, okay? It's not all structure all the time. It's also not all choice and agency all the time. It is, I meet your needs. I provide you 
with a lot of agency over your life, but the agency is paired with this predictability of what you can and cannot choose at any given moment. All right, and now a few Patreon questions for you. This one comes from Elise who writes, my partner and I are currently raising our first puppy, a rescue cattle dog lab pitbull mix, and are learning so much from your podcast. Do you have any tips on getting a dog comfortable with strangers being visible from windows in the home, particularly in cases where we can't replicate the, that trigger? We live in a high-rise apartment, and anytime our pup can see someone through the window, like window washers rappelling down the building or someone patrolling the mostly empty building next door, he barks. Since it's a high-rise, we can't practice this unless we learn urban repelling by having friends or family walk by outside. We try to reward calm behavior when these things do happen, but it's so sporadic that it's tough to make progress. Thank you for your work. We started decompression walks with our pup as soon as he was allowed to go outside, and it has made such a difference. So, Elise, first of all, I'm really glad the podcast is helping you with your new puppy. That makes me very happy to hear. What I want to encourage you to wrap your head around is that you don't need to produce this trigger in order to work on this behavior. You can be rewarding any calm looking out the window behavior, whether there's a trigger or not. And you should be. So anytime the dog looks out the window and dismisses whatever is out the window, I want you to reward. I also want you to set up times where the dog is simply relaxing near the window. So you take the dog on that nice decompression walk and then you come in and you put them in an X-Pen where they can see out the window. And you give them a bone and a nice cozy bed and we are here practicing not freaking out out the window. You don't tell me how old the dog is, but you mention it's a puppy. And so also know that maturity will be on your side if you continue to do this stuff. They get into stupid ages, okay? They get like six months of age and then onward until they're almost two years old. They're kind of dumb. They're kind of, <laughs> and I say that with love, but they kind of overreact to everything during that time, especially the breeds um, besides the Labrador. The cattle dog and the pity that you mentioned have a, have a strong tendency to do that. And so know that maturity will help you. You want to continue to just lay money in the bank for the correct behaviors. Just continue to do it. Don't set up triggers. And in fact, if there is a trigger like a window washer that the puppy can't be calm about you should remove the puppy from the situation rather than try to work on it best of luck next one comes from morgan who writes i'm curious about the best ways to deal with those herding dogs who like to chase cars i have an almost two-year-old english shepherd working and living on a dairy farm if she is hanging out in the yard just by herself she will fence run cars anytime one goes by we don't have a lot of traffic being in a rural area, so I think that adds to the excitement. If I'm out there with her, she dismisses normal traffic, but she will blast off for large trucks like natural gas or the pinnacle of all vehicles, the town plow. I have worked off and on with calling her away and just keeping her out of the yard altogether, but now I'm just scratching my head. Should she just never be in the yard? Because that seems sad. <laughs> will that even help in the long term, or is that just a lifetime of management with no real outcome? She's fine if she's out on leash in town at the training facility on or off leash or even in our neck of the woods on leash. This issue seems to be isolated to our home. However, she's fine with tractors and trucks that come in and out of our gates, just fixated on managing the road. Full disclosure, she bombed out an open gate recently and hit slash got hit by a normal car just going by. And by some miracle, she was totally unscathed. Unfortunately, this has not affected her affinity for chasing cars. I was hopeful it would be the one good thing to come out of such a traumatic to me event, but alas, no such luck. SOS, do I give up and worry about gates for the rest of her life? Or is there some way to curb such a normal but dangerous habit? Morgan, I'm terribly sorry this is happening because it is a really tough one. Full disclosure from me, I 
sometimes work with people for months and months and months in private coaching on this kind of behavior. So this is going to be a quick answer, but know that it's, there are no quick solutions. The first, and I'm just going to say this for everybody listening, this does not help you, Morgan, but the biggest best thing you can possibly do is not allow this behavior to happen in the first place because it is extremely reinforcing to these dogs. And so when you let it happen, nothing you do after the fact helps. And now you're in a situation where you do have to prevent it from happening because every time it happens, that neural pathway just gets stronger. That reinforcement pattern just gets, just gets dug deeper in the brain. So what do we do about it? Do we never let the dog be in the yard? Well, unfortunately, yes. Free access to the yard cannot be allowed. And I think that's as sad as you think it is, but it can't be allowed because this is a life or death issue. So no free access to the yard, and we need to actually totally change the way the dog feels about these cars coming. And the way that I like to do that is to set up situations where there's going to be cars going by, and the dog is doing something else and doing something not exciting. So I would do like a big kibble scatter out there. Like I'd go stand out there, the dog's on a long line or on a tether, and you scattered her entire day's worth of calories worth of kibble out there and she's just eating and cars may or may not go by but she's just eating so you're going to do that you are going to work really hard on your recall you're also going to work really hard on some boundary training like I would work really hard on you do not cross this gate threshold ever to the point where I'd like you to be able to throw a frisbee through the gate and she stops dead at the gate do I have resources for training that? Uh, no, not off the top of my head, but it can be trained. It can be trained a lot of different ways. I'm sure that there's some YouTube videos for you, but I'm also sure that there are paid resources for you. So teaching those boundaries, teaching her how to feel a different way when those cars go by and not allowing the behavior to ever happen again, that's where you are. And if you don't allow it to happen for a solid year and you are providing opportunities for her to choose something else when cars go by for a solid year, then you're gonna to start to have a little bit of leeway. But this is a tough one and you're two years in. I don't know when it started, but I'm gonna guess sometime in adolescence and understand that you cannot walk 10 miles into the woods and get out in five. Best of luck to you, Morgan. And last one this week comes from Lauren who writes, thank you so much for your podcast. My question is about signals from me, the handler, to indicate that a high arousal game is ending without the termination of the game being a punisher. To expand, my dog loves tug, and at the end of our tug game, I lessen my intensity. I then let go of the toy and say, okay, all done. The minority time this works, he disengages and then plays with something else or settles. The majority of the time, he demonstrates what looks like frustration behaviors, grabbing his bed and humping, stealing items, or following me to repeatedly shove his tug toy in my hand. He rarely does these behaviors in other contexts, so I'm reading this as, I don't want to stop playing tug and don't understand. I'm afraid that my method of finishing tug is punishing, but I can't play forever. I've started adding a frozen topple after my all done cue, but I'm not sure if that's the right move. I haven't done it enough times to see if it really helps or not. Can you offer suggestions on how I can improve our end of game play? I don't see this frustration behavior with lower arousal games and the all done routine I described above seems to work with those activities. So Lauren, number one, 
stopping play for a dog that loves it that much is always going to be punishing no matter what you do. And that's okay. Like that's just real life. That's fine. So same deal with my dog, Felix. If we are training and I say all done, he, I may as well have said Christmas is canceled. It's very sad for him, but it's better than having him hang on and try to get me to restart the play. So it's really important that you do not re-engage the play after you say all done. I would also not slowly end the game I would end it rather abruptly like I wouldn't lessen your intensity and like slowly do it I would say all done remove the toy do not let the dog keep having the toy so that's one big thing that you can change and I would do just a big kibble scatter on the ground take the toy put it away and then be done you have to just be extremely consistent providing a topple after that scatter is not a bad idea especially for a while as you let the dog kind of readjust to the new rules and make sure that you're not allowing the dog to make you start play other times so make sure that that shoving a tug in your hand behavior doesn't get reinforced other times either during the day because somewhere somehow that's being reinforced otherwise it wouldn't be still happening for you so make sure that your start of play is also extremely clear and know that you know it is going to be punishing so the consolation prize is the kibble scatter and the topple but these dogs that love this kind of play they never want it to end and that's not going to change and honestly it's a good thing work with it not against it and that's it for this week thanks everybody thanks for listening i hope you'll rate review and subscribe wherever you heard this podcast and don't forget to join Patreon at patreon.com slash cogdogradio. And if you're interested in more content like the stuff you heard here, I hope you'll check out my online courses, my membership, and all of my offerings at my website, sarahstremming.com. See you there.